0: Hey there, my name's Mark McCartney and welcome to the What Is A Good Life podcast. For those of you that followed the newsletter last year for which I interviewed 120 people around this question, the objective remains very much the same. I'm trying to provide you with tools and content that help you find and define your own answer to this question. While I'm also trying to share with you what I perceive to be genuine expressions of the human experience. On the sixth episode of the What Is A Good Life podcast, I'm joined by Paul Gleason. In his lifetime, Paul has cycled across Australia. Rowed a boat across the Atlantic Ocean, rowed across the Northwest Passage in Canada, taken part in an expedition to the Arctic, and has also, as recently as last year, led an expedition of coaching clients up to the summit of Mont Blanc. Paul has also written a book, Crossing the Swell, about his experiences of rowing across the Atlantic. And what's more, he's a dear friend of mine who I consider to be one of the most enthusiastic and inspiring people I know. In this episode, we talk about what Paul has learned from these various expeditions, including finishing his cycle across Australia with a broken limb, fearing for his life and his safety while rowing across the Atlantic, while reflecting on what he learned about himself, what he learned about his own mind, and how it shaped his views on performance and living a very full life. Paul is also currently writing a book about building an expedition mindset. So we also talk about some practical tips and ideas around building your own expedition mindset and trying to get as much out of life as one can. I really enjoyed this conversation with Paul. As ever, I learn a lot when I speak with Paul and I'm sure you will too. And if you enjoy this interview, please like, share and subscribe as I greatly appreciate any support at this stage in my podcast journey. So without further ado, the sixth episode of the What Is A Good Life podcast. Hey Paul, thank you very much for joining me today on the What Is A Good Life podcast. How are you doing today, sir? I'm good, I'm good.
1: Thanks for having me, Mark. I'm good, how are you?
0: You're very well, thank you. Uh, for those of you that are listening, uh, Paul must be one of the most uh, enthusiastic or inspiring or infectiously, in- infectiously inspiring people I know. Um, so I was delighted to get Paul to, to join us on the podcast today. Um, Paul, the first question I have for you is, when did you first notice um, this kind of call to adventure or expedition first in your life?
1: It's a good question. Um, I suspect it was always there when I was, I think I was four um, and I, I took the stabilizers off my bike and I went down our house at home, my, my folks house, it's on a bit of a hill when you're four, it's, you know, it's, it's a massive hill <laughs> and I took the stabilizers off and I can vividly remember going around the corner, it's a little loops like a sort of banana shaped and the bike started rattling, you know, I, I was losing control and, and Sort of woke up. I was on the ground, and uh, I don't really remember being carried home. But I had, I had all cuts and I hadn't broken my nose, but I ended up getting stitches sort of underneath my nose. And a neighbour carried me off, all bleeding. And um, the next day, it was my sister's first communion. And any of the pictures, I'm not in many of those pictures, but any, any <laughs> that I am in, I looked like a beaten child. Um, so i guess maybe there was that little bit of adventurous spirit in me from a young age but i suppose like lots of my friends and peers and, and like lots of people maybe listening to this who can probably identify with this i grew up playing lots of different sports and and i suspect that was an outlet for that adventurous spirit you know in terms of an expression of it it was when i was in college in limerick so i'm from limerick and i, I was studying in, in UL, and I read a book about Tom Crean, the infamous or famous uh, Irish um, polar explorer. So back in the day when the likes of Amundsen and Scott were trying to become the first to reach the South Pole, um, Tom Crean from from Awnesgall in Kerry in Ireland was in the middle of all that and was on uh, lots of those teams. Incredible human being. But there was a book r- written about him called An Unsung Hero. And I remember reading that, I think it was 19 or 20. And I was reading it at home in the kitchen table and mum was doing stuff around me. And I just got this idea of, I want to cycle from Limerick to Dublin. And it was just after exams, I think. And we were going up to Dublin to meet a few friends for a night in the beer. And I said, look, I'm going to cycle up and see you up there. And it's about 200 kilometres, just shy 200 kilometres. And I just went on my regular bike. I didn't really plan it because some of the roads it was before the motorways that are in existence now but <laughs> some of the roads you still weren't allowed to cycle on it so I, I just sort of I adopted that I'll ask for forgiveness versus permission uh, approach and just went for it and I remember cycling into Dublin I don't know if to take me 10 hours or I'm not sure exactly how long it took me a while anyway but I remember cycling in tired hungry you know my arse was sore um, but just delighted and I was like God, oh, that was great and had a great night and but then I sort of packed that away and, and, you know, didn't really think anything of it. But I, I think that was the first, even though I didn't realize that at the time, I think that was a little bit of the beginning of the conscious awareness of the expression of this ad- adventurous streak.
0: It's, uh, I don't know, I've, I've got an idea at the moment these days where I think we're, um, and I'm talking about a certain maybe socioeconomic class where we're almost like too comfortable like we've moved too far away from kind of I'm not the. I'm not saying I want to go back to a hunter-gatherer lifestyle or something but just there's some kind of there's some call to adventure in this that I think that if we're not engaged with or connected with in some way I think our, our lives are suffering even though on the surface they look very nice and very well put together
1: yeah I totally agree I've said this for years I think as a I know it's a massive generalization as a as a, a generation, you know, people, I'm 46. If I think of, 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 I look around and I see how, how we as a collective live, I think we're absolutely gone really soft. Um, things are really convenient. Things are a lot easier in so many instances, which look is great. I'm, I'm the benefactor of, of some of that as well. Um, but I, I do think that when you introduce a little bit of discomfort, whether it's physical, whether it's through being out in nature, whether it's you know, learning a new instrument, whatever it might be, if you, if you introduce a little bit of discomfort and a little bit of unknown around something that you want to do, of course. To me, in my experience, it does build up your your what I would call your mental fitness and agility, which is different from mental health. And we, we might get into that at some point. Um, but even if I take this morning, For me, I train with a couple of guys a few mornings a week and we go, we go swimming in in the sea afterwards. I say swimming like it's at this point in February, it's a five minute dip, but I've been doing this not quite every day, but I'd say, I'd say out of seven days, probably on average about five days a week. And I nearly feel like I miss it if I don't do it. But it was only, there was only two of us in swimming this morning. And I remember saying it to, to my mate who was in with me. I said at the start, so sort of, I started doing this last september so many couple of months doing it since we moved down here to kinsale because i don't Mm -hmm. in some respects i have no excuse (laughs) because we literally i'm a minute walk you know from the water where i am right yeah yeah but i i was saying it to to my mate that at the start of doing this so i do it with the guys three days a week and i do it myself probably two three days a week as well and there's always that walk down going don't really want to do this it is going to be cold when I get in um February March you know are the coldest months of the year in in North Atlantic waters so there is that element of I don't want to do it but once I'm in once you dive in that maybe first three four seconds you get your breath and then I'm fine and my point on it is that it's introducing a little bit of discomfort um which I think for me I gain not just physically in terms of the benefits but I think mentally as well, because I'm, I'm uncomfortable at least once a day, probably most days. And it doesn't have to be through that, but I do agree with you. I think there is an element of we have gotten soft mentally, um, yeah. compared to what previous generations, uh, had to, had to navigate. And it's not to dismiss challenges and, and stuff that we all navigate. But I think relatively speaking, in terms of comfort and ease, yeah, different, different gravy, I think.
0: Yeah, and, and I think it it inhibits then like our ability to, to thrive at some point because if pain is the first kind of flashing signal that tells us to stop doing something, you know, there's not many things in life that don't come with a healthy dose of pain. Like, you know, being a parent, or I'm not a parent yet, but I hopefully will be later this year, and, you know, getting up every night and to feed a child or crying child or like even the glorious stuff that we consider in life, everything seems to be served up with the, a helping of like a, a gift and then some degree of like a cost that comes with these processes as well. Um, just an, intrigued, uh, just from that first, let's say expedition, we'll call it from, uh, from a young lad from Limerick going up to Dublin. It must have felt like, uh, <laughs> uh it must have felt you like quite steady. the expedition. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, no. no, no. <laughs> I won't let this descend into <laughs> nonsense. Um, but just that feeling that like, you know, you were knackered, you were hungry. Uh, but you feel like that was probably the moment in which you kind of—I don't know—felt like almost like you stoked, uh, you awoke something within you. Like, can you kind of describe what the? Could you elaborate more on the feeling of even just getting off or finishing off that journey or that first trip?
1: Yeah, I think again, it's gone back. It's gone back a good few years now. um God, as I think on it, like it's <laughs> just shy thirty years. Wow, um, it's gone back yeah. a while. But I guess I, I do remember just. The 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 level of you're knackered you're spent and and in cycling it's not just in cycling it's a term often in in the endurance world people will talk about banking and it, you know it's it's a, my experience it's happened to me once or twice people often say it'll happen to you once and it'll never happen to you again because it's so horrible but you just feel like you've you've nothing you've no energy it's really hard to keep going you just want to curl up and just not die but just stop and, and you want it to end and I remember feeling a bit of that towards the end of it. But there was a, a there was quite a bit of satisfaction when you get off the bike and you're wrecked and you know, you've the you've the promise of a night ahead and a bit of crack with the lads and a few beers and all the rest of it. Um but there was that inner sense of that was cool. I did that. And it's not that I can't remember, but I'm sure we didn't I'm sure I probably got slagged for the first hour of the evening and that was, that was it then, you know, you eat it. Why didn't you just come up on the train or, or the <laughs> bus or like the rest of us. Um, but there was that sense of accomplishment. And I think it also got me. Like a couple of years later when I did my first little a long trip across Australia on the bike, my interesting, my reference point when I looked at that and I looked, it was about five and a half thousand kilometers. And I looked at a go. Some of the, some of the days on that would have been 200 kilometers plus across certain parts of Australia. Quite frankly, because there's nothing there. You're going from roadhouse to roadhouse. But my reference point around my belief in my ability to do that went back to this cycle. Cause I thought, yeah. look, I've cycled 200 kilometers in a day. If it's 220, 230, 240 with a bit of prep, I'd be grand. That, that. So in some respects, that was a real tangible seed sown at that point in time. Um, And sometimes it's the, there's a little bit of inner euphoria when you finish something like that. And sometimes you're, it's just the shower feels that bit nicer and you appreciate it a bit more or the cup of tea feels great or the first beer or whatever it is. It just this, I think for me with some of this, I draw a real simple appreciation for the basic things that we have. And we're very lucky to have you know, here in where I am in Ireland, you are in Germany, but in, in lots, not everywhere, obviously, given what's going on in the world, but in lots, lots of parts of the world. And what was the,
0: because I don't think I've ever asked you this, uh, what was the motivation for the, the cycle across Australia? Like, can you, what, what kind of, could you paint the picture of what stage you were at in life that prompted you to, to do this? Uh, where did the idea come from and, and so on?
1: Yeah, it's, it was, I, again, I can remember very distinctly, I was traveling, so I was about 26, I think, and myself and two buddies had decided we'd go traveling around the world, go to Australia for a year, like you know, lots of other Irish people do. And we spent a couple of months traveling across America to begin with, and um, from there we went to New Zealand, and then the plan was to head on to Australia. And it was when we were in New Zealand, uh, ray my buddy ray was reading uh lance armstrong's first book it's not about the bike so i guess with the benefit of hindsight it's, yeah, likely, it's about the steroids and everything yeah. else <laughs> <laughs> slightly unfortunate uh source of inspiration but i remember he just i was like oh he had finished it and he just tossed it back into the backseat of the car and i think he just said have a read of this and when i read it i i guess, I got inspired by the early stages of, you know, going through cancer and what he did and getting himself back to to where he did, albeit we know <laughs> we know there's a lot more to it at this yeah, point. It's
0: still an unbelievable story, right? It is, yeah. yeah. And,
1: and I think at the time, I just, again, it just, something in me sparked an urge. I want to do something to physically challenge myself. I want to do a long trip. I didn't know what it was at the time. And it was only a couple of weeks later when we were then living in Melbourne. Uh, it was probably a couple of months later actually when I got this notion of God, I wonder what I cycle across Australia and that was the but the starting point was that sort of that initial seed from the book
0: and just just like that I wonder will I will I cycle <laughs> across Australia and when you how long did the how long did that trip actually take you
1: it took um it was bang on 60 days but if you know it, it's depending on the route people take. So I started in Perth. I sort of, when I looked it up on, online to see what's involved, to have done it, any advice you could pick up from people who've done it. I remember reading one guy's website who cycled Sydney to Perth. He said, next time I decide to cycle across a continent, maybe check the prevailing winds first. <laughs> so the prevailing winds were more westerly when you get them. So I went Perth to, to Sydney. And I, I guess my route was down through Canberra. So maybe I, I added on a little bit more. Than what i needed to put um i guess when i looked at it i thought right it, it, it'll take maybe a month or two i decided to use it as as a tool to raise money for for world vision in in australia at the time so it would have taken i got knocked down twice by cars so that probably added the last time <laughs> the first time was on day four and I had been struggling with my knee and I was playing a season of rugby in, in, in Melbourne and you know I was in I was physically in good shape. Um I had I had trained not a huge amount but I trained a bit for the cycle and um yeah I was struggling with my knee. I think it was to do with the bike setup and I got hit by a car, it was the longest day of the cycle, it was two hundred and forty kilometres. I was about ten kilometres from the end of the day and it was dark so when you're cycling in darkness you can see that the trucks and the cars coming from behind you you can see their lights in front of you and some of these things they are big road trains they're big trucks they were you know it, it's not a big highway and it's a two lane <laughs> you know one lane each side highway and these were coming close and i know anyway, trucks it, that had not a youth sort of smashed his wing mirror off my elbow and i went into the ditch so i couldn't right. i tried to leave that town like he, he looked, I remember the bang, I went into the ditch and I got up and he, he heard a smack and I, I'd say he saw me in the rear view mirror going off into the ditch, God love him. His hands were shaking when he came back. Um, I, I, I think he probably thought he'd kill me. And he just said, look, throw the bike in the back the truck. And I said, no, no, I'm, I'm doing this cycle across Australia. So, I, you know, I, I've got to do it all myself. And he said, look, is there anything I can do? I feel bad. And I said, look, the bike is okay. But I teamed up. I'd met Tori to, to come with me on the trip and, and she was doing the fundraising. So Tori would do all the fundraising and I was the one cycling. And I said, look, we're going to be raising money. Um, come down tomorrow. And our, our, our mode of raising money was to ask people to sponsor a child in, in Africa. And I said, come down tomorrow and sponsor a child. So I, I guilted him into that. And in fairness, he did. He came down to the, the stand and he did. But yeah, so that, took it it added i tried to leave i think it was three times i tried to leave that that town it was baladonia and i just pain was just too much and i had to give it like did
0: you do did you do serious damage to your to your elbow
1: no the elbow was fine it was more i think the knee because i i was clipped into the bike i think the knee jarred a bit as i as i got hit so the elbow was grand just my knee was in ribbons and in fairness i got like a couple of local people helped with physio and about a week a week or so maybe 10 days later i got going again
0: and just out of interest, then, like you, you get knocked down four days into this uh, this trek across Australia. W- like, uh, does any part of you think ah, better to try another time, or were you just fixated on on completing the task?
1: I was pretty fixated on it, but I remember thinking, like, that was up to that point, that was the most painful day physically of my life because even before I got hit, I think it was every. 15, 20 minutes, I had to pull over. The pain in my knee was so bad. Um. So I was, it was like, each turn of the pedal, I was feeling a, a pain in the kneecap. And I thought to myself at the time, you know, I consider myself relatively mentally strong. I thought, right, I, I can push through this. And I was, like, I was shouting. I was screaming in the middle of nowhere, like, if anyone saw me, they would have thought, like, what's this guy at? But I was, I guess I was doing whatever I could to get through that day. And then, you know, getting clapped by the car didn't help. But I think I, I remember thinking if this was the last or second last day, you could just grunt it out for the last couple of days. But I was like, I'm only four days into this. And when I tried to leave a couple of times, I got 40 minutes out, you know, leaving the town and I couldn't feel my knee. And I was like, okay, I need to get this right. So um, eventually I, I didn't really think about, oh, I'll do something else or, or abandon it. It was just like, okay. Take the time I need and and go again. But there was, I guess, there was points later in the cycle where it flared up, and like I remember a couple of times just cycling with one leg because I could leave the other leg just dangle because it was sore, and where it was flat, just use the one leg. And again, you were just so invested in it, and it was it was ironic because the more things went wrong, or as I said, when I got hit by the car it was actually great for publicity in terms of getting coverage so it was great to raise money for the charity so so it was actually there was silver linings to it jesus
0: that's 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 uh that's taking reframing or a positive mindset to a new level paul like when you think of doing that like you're like the kind of most uh the most grounded or like egoless uh, psycho or sicko that i know <laughs> if, <laughs> you, if you get me like you. <laughs> do you get what i'm saying like you you do things um in some of these expeditions that like what do you like are you because i always see you as like quite a look i know we all have our moments or whatever but like you always strike me as a very kind of contented like generous giving kind of Person and, and very generally, like a, as I said in the intro, like a, you have a high level of enthusiasm for life as well, which I can find infectious. But like, what drive? Like, what's are you are you dry, are you trying to escape from something? Are like, what's driving you to to try to cycle one legged through a, what's already going to be like? I'm sure a tough enough kind of endurance endurance task. Like, what what, what do you think is driving you at times?
1: Yeah, it's it's really interesting because I think. <clears throat> I, I, I share a story with you. I remember before we went to do the Northwest Passage trip in this when we were living in Canada, obviously where we met, I was I was going out. I was seeing a girl and and um, it was we were only seeing each other for I think a couple of months and, I, you know, she was nice and all the rest of it. But I was just I was mad keen into this and I just said, look, this is going to take up more of my time and we we you know so we broke up. Uh, I remember she said she was like what are you running from with all these trips? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, um, you know, I, I sort of assured, sure, look, I'm not running from you. Um, but I, what I've realized over the years is that I just love do I love testing myself um, in this sort of environment. And it's not like I need to, and I'm certainly not doing it to, to prove something to somebody else. Um, I just love, I love the crack and the, the adventure of, God, I wonder, could I cycle across Australia or I could I do some of the other things? And I get enthused by it. But I think one of the reasons I get enthused by it is I never, I don't know if I read this somewhere or if this just sort of came to me years ago, but I'd hate to ever meet the person I could have been. So let's say 10, 20, 30 years from now, I bump into someone at a party or whatever it might be and we're chatting away and they lived their life in a certain way, or they had certain experiences. And I, I hate to ever meet that person and go, God, I would have liked to have done something like that. But maybe I didn't because I was afraid or I was worried about what people think. So I, like for me, it's just, it's about living the life that I want to live and that I feel energized to live. And as I said, I didn't start out this way that a lot of the benefit I've gotten from these trips I've gained, I think, so much interesting insight into my own mind yeah, and yeah. into what I would say just into the human mind that you can't, you can't get from reading about it. I think when you experience things, you obviously somatically you feel it, but you embody it that little bit more. And I think the learning becomes more relevant and real. Um, so that's been a big, that's been a big benefit of this, but the short answer to your question is just, I still love doing it and yeah, yeah, yeah. I love what I learn about myself and obviously you get to see parts of the world that you wouldn't maybe necessarily go and see that yeah, makes and, sense and
0: you get lots of like helpful uh, <laughs> helpful publicity uh, publicity after being knocked down and the likes um okay. in terms then of the the trip to Australia or sorry the trip the cycle across Australia um, if you could break down what you felt you learned about yourself through that process
1: What comes to mind? I think the first thing was, I probably wasn't using this language at the time, but I think the first thing was just not worrying as much about what other people think. So let let me just list off a few things and I can sort of go back to maybe one or two of them. So I think one was just the importance of just having a go and saying, feck it, I'm going to try and do this. I don't care if someone says I'm nuts or I'm an idiot or whatever. I think there's a lot of value to that. And I think the more I've done it in my life, when someone says you're not, you're crazy, excuse me, the more I realize, oh, I'm probably onto something here. Um, yeah. so I think the, that was one lesson just have a go. Um, I think the second one is I realized how powerful our minds are because I know, you know, elite cyclist, I know elite athletes. I realized through what I experienced on that our mind is so much more capable and we're so much more capable. Than what we give ourselves credit for that was the, that was a big thing for me and I also I guess the, the third thing was um, like just maybe it's related to the first thing is don't waste your life not living what you want to do like go after whatever dream or ambition you have and it doesn't need to be I want to accomplish something a dream or an ambition could be I want to live in a slightly different way whatever it might be. And mm-hmm. um, that was, that came home loud and clear. Uh, like the, to go back maybe to the, the mind piece, like I remember the last day of the cycle, and this was probably an easy one to identify, but so I'm coming into Sydney because we've gotten a bit of exposure. we would raised quite a bit of money. And there was a couple of television crews. The, the plan was we started in um, Ladisloe Beach in Perth, Cottesloe Beach, and um, started there. So it was literally, I went in for a swim, got my bike, off I went. And the plan was to get to the East Coast, finishing Bondi into the water. So we're about 10 kilometers in the finish. And I'm in a three-lane, three, it's a three-lane highway coming into Sydney called the Princess Highway. And I hear this, you know, it's obviously busy. I'm over at the side, out of the way as much as I can be. And I hear this screech of, a, of car brakes behind me. And if you imagine, if you imagine you're sitting on your bike, and my, I sort of looked over and it was my right shoulder. Just to see what the screech was. But as I I probably didn't even get my head fully across, I start going over the handlebars. So the screech was a car hitting me from behind. And I went over the handlebars onto the ground. And I sort of woke up, I don't know if I was knocked out, my helmet wasn't broken, but I woke up on the ground, there was people around me, and my, my knee and stuff was cut and a few scrapes and a little bit of blood, but nothing major. So I sort of got up and like the back wheel was smashed in, it was crunched in, the bike was toast. And I didn't realize when my hand was broken, you know, I got broken lots of bones. And someone, anyone who's listening or you might know as well, if you break a bone, sometimes the adrenaline that's flowing, you know, the swelling doesn't come up maybe initially. You go, oh, I don't know, that's sore, but I keep going. So I rang the PR PR lady from uh, World Vision because she'd flown in from from Melbourne that day and I rang Tori. They were both sort of close to the finish. And I said, look, and after getting hit, I'm grand, but Tori, if you can come out to where I am, throw the bike in the boot, I said, I'll run the last ten kilometres. Because I don't want I don't want this to finish on the side of a highway. Um so there was that draw a sense of completion. And I was sore, but I remember running into Bonda and there was a few friends there, nothing major, but you know, people I knew maybe in Australia. And the bike was just crunched so it was sort of like no pod you can't run these last 10k so um said, this is PO, i think i started running she said no no no, come back come back um i'm going to get you a bike so she went into a bike shop and as uh she told them the story and one of them had heard an interview i did in the radio that morning said look here's a bike there's no charge just bring it back tomorrow so she yeah. gives me this bike but the bike is like you know I'm not that tall and I don't know what five eight five nine if I'm pushing it, um. But I I'm on this bike and it's too small for me, so it looks like I've stolen like my little <laughs> brother's bike and I'm I'm cycling to Bondi <laughs> Beach in this thing. I could just see a couple of people going. Did you go across Australia on that joke? Yeah. Um, but I guess that was a game to me. That was just it was an example for me personally. Of just like when your mind gets into a place of. This is happening. Sometimes there can be consequences if you push your body too hard and you might you might suffer the consequences later. Um and they might be short term or slightly longer term. But um that was for me a big thing it was just there's a whole I didn't even understand the mind, probably, but I was just that that concept of whoa, there's a whole stratosphere here that I can tap into that I haven't even begun to tap into.
0: So I'm not saying that you're you're chasing a high from these experiences, but it's almost the the high you get from moments where you've hit your potential, or you've like not to say you've maxed out or something like that, but you've you almost feel like you're scraping the bottom of of the barrel in terms of of what you're capable of.
1: Yeah, sometimes there's those moments, but then sometimes again, this might change for me. I can't speak for anyone else. As you get older, like I know adventure and an adventurous spirit is part of who I am. Yeah, um, yeah. It's not all of who I am, but it, it's a part of me. And, and that adventurous spirit can be expressed in lots of different ways. Um, But <laughs> I've just got a flashback of something. I'll come back to that. But um, that adventurous spirit can, can come out. And so for me being in nature, like last year, the climb, you know, climb Mont Blanc in France, that's not something necessarily that brought me to my age, um, right. but it was something, just the experience of being out in nature and experiencing what it's like to do something like that, whether it's climb a mountain or go rolling or whatever it might be. Um, I think part, that's part of it. For me, it's, about, it's not about accomplishing something, but it's also about how do I want to experience the whole journey of getting ready to do something and the planning of it and trying to figure it out and the training and all of these ingredients that go in it's not just about oh, i emptied myself on that or i got to the other side of australia it's more like one of the most prized possessions i have is a little book i brought with me when i did the cycle not one of the most prized possessions but something really nice to have it's an a4 sort of scrapbook and i just called it the thoughts of the nation and as i went across australia if i met people i went loads of people i'd like just write down whatever's in your head today or whatever's going on and like the comments and stuff in that are priceless. That's the type of stuff you just, you know, you, you have all this treasure chest of stories of experience that you just wouldn't have otherwise. So it's it's very much the journey piece as well as maybe what I learn about, about the mind. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, yeah. So that, that, that sounds like there's a number of things going on. So, you know, you talk about finding out things about yourself, finding out things about the mind. There is some sense of like, what am I capable of? Like that's in relation with the mind as well. Then there's almost this part where it sounds like this is just an expression of who you are. This is how, this is you, like your soul almost uh, presenting itself, uh, manifesting itself on the outside. Like it's it's, a, it's an expression of who you are in a very like innate way. Um, and then just this sense of like, it's a life, like the satisfaction of it's a When I do these things, it's a it's a life well lived. Yeah,
1: 100%. 100%. Yeah, yeah. And sometimes I think you can, I know, I think sometimes we can, again, I know this is a generalization, but sometimes we can try and overanalyze things. And sometimes it's just like, you know what, I just want to do it. And it feels right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and, And sort of off off you go. Um
0: when you're when you're talking here, man, I already feel like a, a pang to go out and climb a mountain or something. I think I've been neglecting it a bit in my my own self since I moved to Berlin. But uh, I, I think there there almost seems like something quite like um, like primitive that you're tapping into. That this is just the place where we're supposed to be sometimes. And if we go back even to the start of just how comfortable we are um, and the things that we prioritize over getting out in nature. And this doesn't have to be about climbing Mount uh, Mont Blanc. It could just be going for a walk up your local mountain or a hill. Like that isn't even going to exert you, but just that immersion with yourself outside of all these distractions we have that usually leads us to a, a kind of a better place, like mentally, mm. physically, physiologically, whatever. And um, just wanted to move it on to your the expedition that always blew my mind when we first met, uh, when we first met. Um <laughs> When, when you told me that you rowed across the Atlantic, uh, I didn't know what to make of that when I first heard it. And then I asked you, like, were you a professional rower or something like this? Um, and I, I think if I recall correctly, um, you kind of said, no, you just were kind of playing around with it for a few months before you decide to row across the Atlantic Ocean.
1: Is, is that correct? Am I recalling that correctly? Yeah, I, it, it's probably, I, I can't remember the conversation exactly, but it's probably... I, I might have underplayed it a tiny bit, but no, in, in some respects, sorry, a lot of truth there in what you said that I wasn't a rower, but I do remember at the time contacting the only people in Ireland who'd ever done it, um, Eamon and Peter Kavanagh, and they had rowed across the Atlantic, I think, seven or eight years previously. I remember the first time I met Eamon, he did say to me, you know, I I, I said, Eamon, am I crazy? Like." you know, to, to do this uh, or to think I could do it. And he said to me, um, you know, he said, Paul, trying to row across the Atlantic has nothing got to do with how good a rower you are. And it's also nothing got to do with how much ocean experience you are. It's going to be everything got to do with how mentally tough you are. And I remember sort of laughing internally to myself. I was like, well, just as well, because I can't row and no ocean experience. <laughs> uh, so when you saw the the funny side of that comment. Um, but he was absolutely right. And I remember doing a talk. It was actually in the Vancouver Rowing Club. And as the words came out of my mouth, I remember realizing I'm actually insulting so many people here. Because the words that came out of my mouth were, you know, rowing isn't that hard. Anyone can learn how to do it. Right, right. So to, to learn how to row and, and being on an ocean is a great level. So like if you are an Olympic level rower and I'm me, it's not to say that the ocean is going to equalize us. But your years of experience, your technique, your fitness, all that stuff, you won't get a chance to get the benefit of that when you have waves knocking around and it's hard to catch right, right. you. Know, there's obviously still going to be a difference between us. Um So, yeah, I, I I think that was, it was a friend of mine who was in school, it was his idea, started to look into it. And before I knew it, I was just, again, yeah, I was just enthralled by the idea of it and I think there was one of the great lessons for me with this is there was a lovely naivety because I knew nothing about rowing or ocean rowing or what was involved in rowing across an ocean. And it was two really important things when I think about it now, I learned from that. One is there's a lot to be said for naivety because if someone had told me everything we'd have to go through just to get to the start line, let alone actually attempt the crossing, there's probably a reasonable chance I might have said, you know what, no, I'm good. I remember a couple of years after, um my girlfriend now my wife colette said that a friend of hers had read we wrote a book about the the crossing and she read the book and before she read it she was thinking about i'd like to row an ocean and then after she read it she was like no not a chance (laughs) which is fair enough but that so the naivety i think so much to be said about it and the second thing was is be really careful who you listen to Because most people in my world, and I understood it, said, "Paul, you're absolutely bonkers. You're going to get yourself killed. But they knew nothing about rowing. They knew nothing about what it took to row an ocean. And my lesson from it was listen to people who actually know what they're talking about when it comes to what you're considering, whatever it might be. And you could sort of widen that out. And and I sort of refer to it now as guard your airspace. Just be careful who or what we allow into our airspace because it can be destructive it can be unhelpful it can be annoying and then you go to the other extreme it can be really helpful in terms of really listening. listen to
0: and I, I think that's so important man because so many people aren't living like aren't doing things that kind of extend their the realm of their possibilities if you know what i mean or like I know even with clients that you may have or clients that I have, sometimes when some people tell me that they're, they're doing everything right in their life, but they don't feel great. And I'm kind of like, how can you say you're doing everything right in your life if and you don't feel great? Like, do, you, do you know what I mean? From the point of view of you're following someone else's plan for what life should mm-hmm. be. And I think we can be so heavily influenced by what the correct, you know, without knowing what the process is, just by probability or just by somebody else's thoughts. And you don't know what kind of mood they're in, what they're carrying. Mm-hmm. Uh, what their like how, what their perspectives are in life if they match up with yours or not so i think that's such a nice point about just protect your airspace almost in terms of who you let into to affect what you're deciding to do yeah but man there's like there's cycling across australia right which you know even i like a bit of a cycle here and there, there. like i'm kind of like yeah you know i'd probably <laughs> i'd probably be there be the weather that would have that would scare me more about that not even the distance as much but man, I don't know. I don't think you could pay me to even contemplate or to even start like, to, to row around the Irish Sea or something like that. So, and I understand what you're saying. Like, it's a great thing that you didn't know uh, what was coming. If, you know, or, you know, there was a naivety that kind of protected you a little bit mm. in that. But were you not, when you were contemplating this, like, was there a part of you that was like petrified?
1: Um, it's a good question. I. I probably wasn't petrified. I was probably nervous. The more obviously you prep for something like this, the more you look into it and you realise, right. okay, there's certain risks. Um, there's certain things you can do to mitigate the risks. Um, so I think I wasn't. I remember actually, it's probably a good way to illustrate it. The night before, so we were out. In the, we started in the Canary Islands, finished in Antigua in the Caribbean. So it's about two and a half thousand miles across, and. The night before the race was due to leave, it ended up getting put back three days because of a storm front that was moving in. And the danger was that storm would just basically push. The the boats won't get a chance to clear the islands, get pushed back in the rocks. So it was postponed three days. But Eamon and Peter, who had really, like they had taken us under their wing, um they lent us their boat to use. They'd been incredible to us over the, it was probably about a year, 18 months of prepping for it. And we were out for, they came out to the Canaries to wish us off and we were out for dinner with them. And I remember Peter said to me towards the end of dinner, he said, um, he said, can I ask you, are you afraid? Because you seem very relaxed. And I can't remember what Tori said. I can remember my own response was, no, like I, I'm excited because we've spent nearly two years getting ready for this. And it's been such a journey just to get to this point. I couldn't wait to get going. Right. But I definitely felt a sense of, of intrepidation and nervousness as well because I had no idea what the ocean was going to throw at you. And with something like that, you can't prepare for it, really. It's hard. You can prepare for it, but you'll never know. You'll never experience 10, 20, 30, 40-foot swell until you're out in an ocean. You can row along the Irish Sea as much as you want, but you're not going to get that. So there's only so far... Your prep physically and mentally can take you. You've got to, you've got to part of your prep will actually be doing it and the experience you build up as you're going. So I was definitely nervous, but I don't remember being uh, at least at the start sort of petrified, but I was definitely aware of, look, people have died obviously doing this. Um, so I, it wasn't lost on me, but I was also, it was probably easier for me in the sense of, you know, I wasn't, I was doing it with my girlfriend at the time. Uh, we do, you know, didn't have any so, kids. So we'll so. both
0: died together? Or <laughs> <laughs> I,
1: guess, I guess I didn't have to navigate. Obviously, I had my family in terms of the dynamics there and being away for so long and the risk and everything that went with that. I guess that was, I didn't have to navigate that. It wasn't like I was married or I had kids that I was leaving and, and right, taking right, all right. that on. That was, so I was, I was fortunate, I think, of the time of life or where I was in my life helped. Or put it this way, it didn't hinder it.
0: And just like I asked with the, the cycle across Australia, like, can you give me a sense of, like, I know you, you heard about this and you were intrigued by it, but even stage in your life, what was like, do you think that anything that was happening in your life led to it happening? This being the thing that you did or, you know, it also being the timing in which you did this, if you get me, like, was it, were you, was your life getting too comfortable or, or like, what was the, what kind of sparks these ideas in you?
1: Yeah, I think there was an element. Again, a lot of this, I wasn't aware of it necessarily at the time. So I had spent probably two years away traveling and living in Australia during the cycle, came back to Ireland, Tori and I were together as a couple and I was there for about a year and a half and I was struggling. I felt like just, there was something in me that it was lovely to be home, but I just, I, I wasn't fitting in. There was something that just wasn't quite right. And I think with the benefit of hindsight, there was more because I had so many, I guess, adventures and stuff over the last couple of years. I think I wanted to, that beast wanted to be fed some more, maybe before he was happy to put his feet up for a little bit. Um, no, I wasn't aware of this. So I think I was searching for something. Like I remember in my job that I was doing at the time, some of the guys I worked with, I was still good friends with. I remember my boss, because um, when I talk, I often, you know, my hands are moving. And, of course, I was out rowing every week and, like, most Monday mornings I come into our Monday morning meeting like blisters or, you know, calluses and stuff in my hands. And I remember at one point Mark looked at me and was like, what the hell did you do to yourself? And I hadn't told him yet. I was going to give him six months' notice. Right. Just came out then, like, and it's like, right, okay, that's, okay, that's of a bit weird, but you know, I can't remember <laughs> his exact words. But I remember even at that point, I wanted to finish really well. So I wanted to leave that job knowing that the door, like I was going to resign. It was a sales road. And I knew I'd be gone for probably at least three, four months. So the easiest thing was just resign. But, you know, they did offer me a job when I came back. But I wanted to leave on the best possible terms, which probably made me even work harder to, to, to leave on on those terms and so i wasn't leaving it wasn't that I, I enjoyed what i did you know i was in a good relationship um definitely the whole process of trying to put this that trip together like you know i put myself into a lot of debt to make it happen and you know it was it was hugely challenging to to get to the start line let alone to <laughs> the actually do the actual role so, so that kind of makes sense though when you're
0: you know, the night before, and you're chatting to the two lads that have done it before, and and they're talking about are you are you afraid? And of course, you're saying there's some trepidation, but it seems like there was a huge amount of work that just and risk you could say, like right, you know, giving up a, a job, uh, going into debt just to fulfil this, you know, kind of feed the beast as as you say it. So I can just imagine then, like everything, all the obstacles are out of the way, and now it's just you and you exactly. and the ocean.
1: Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it just it's like life became simpler. It was like, are we safe? Have we food? Have we water? Are we making yeah. a bit of progress? And I think that's, a, that's another, I guess, gift that I've gotten from, from these experiences is just the appreciation of the simple things in life. And I've realized as well that lots of people aren't necessarily comfortable with embracing uncertainty and it, yeah. it'll, there'll be very degrees on this. Some people will love change and love uncertainty. Others will hate it, and, and everything in between, and the nature of the uncertainty and everything can obviously contribute to it. But the reason I bring it up was, I see now. I remember I, after the row, I was doing a talk, cause like an after dinner talk, and I was chatting to a few people afterwards, and this girl came up and sat beside me at the table, and she was asking me lots of questions, and and she was like, you know, I'm thinking about not rowing the Atlantic, but doing something that taken off. And she said, so did you, you had your job safe when you came back? And I said, no, I said, I resigned from my job. And said, but and Did you have money put aside and stuff? And, and I said, no, I let I, mean, I was 40 odd grand in debt. And she put, but, but like, you like, you knew you could pay it back. I said, I hadn't a clue what I was going to pay. I said, what are you really asking me here? And yeah, 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 my yeah. impression, albeit it was just a five, 10 minute chat with this lady. But my impression was she wanted to do her equivalent of this. But was uncomfortable with the risks that come with it. And and I see it's people's ability to tolerate emotional discomfort often stop them doing things that they say they want. Sometimes they actually don't really want to. And they might realize they don't want to, and that's fine. But I think it's yeah, that ability there is really important. Do you know? Because I think um,
0: often I talk to people, and even just friends, even around this and um I don't know what I, I I don't necessarily know what I want to do with my life, and we just through a series of conversations, we kind of kind of becomes clear that they know what they want to do with in their life. They just don't want to pay the they don't want to pay the toll or they don't want to yeah. pay the cost for it. If you know what I mean, yeah. And I and I think that's a that's a pretty big distinction, you know, in this world where people are saying and look the idea of. Uh, purpose is glamorized anyway like almost the way people are selling it is if find your purpose and the universe just opens every door for you this mm-hmm. kind of thing yeah yeah but i think there's a big difference between knowing what you want to do and just be willing to pay the the cost of the sacri- at least the initial upfront sacrifice of what's required yeah so totally. well, I, I, I know when i when yeah. when i interviewed you because paul took part in the initial interviews as well for the, the what is a good life newsletter and you gave this um, amazing story almost of you know, you're out underneath the boat cle- um, cleaning the barnacles off of it. I don't know if even that's the right expression, yeah, but yeah. The, the, the boat kind of shifts in the waves. It hits you in the face. So, a few drops of blood come out. You realize it's a Tuesday morning, and you're just like, God, this is living. Like, you know, I, I could be in the office right now, but I'm hanging off the side of this boat in the middle of the Atlantic. And it, all, it always just stuck with me as just a, as a really beautiful kind of image and story. Are there other kind of seminal moments as you as you rode across the Atlantic? Maybe if you can give us an example of whether something that ties in with like feeling fear, something that ties in with just sheer exuberance, or or and just kind of anything in between.
1: God, yeah, there's probably lots of different things. Um, like if I think about fear, I remember. So we did this; it was part of a race. So twenty six boats in it all from different parts of the world, within the first day or two, you don't see anyone else because everyone's... If if I'm going a quarter of a mile faster than you, you know, in a couple of hours, I'll be out of sight type of thing. And everyone's going and maybe somebody might say, oh, we're going to take this heading, that's where we're going to head for that. So you'd you'd lose track of people. So it was a funny race and that you were all around each other at the start, but then we saw one boat after 60 days and that was it. Um, But I remember one night um, there was... We got a text message on our satellite phone that the other Irish team in the race had gone down. And if you, if your boat goes down or comes apart or you get into trouble, you'll set off what's called an EPER, which is a, a distress signal. And that'll send a signal out to a couple of hundred square miles radius and other ships can, can pick it up. So we had gotten this and it was a wild night. It was really rough. Um, some of the conditions might seem rough at the start, but you got used to them. So it's amazing what you can acclimatize to as you get comfortable in, in, in bad conditions. But I remember this night in particular, it was dark, it was moonless, it was swell coming from every side. I could barely see, we had a compass in front of us, which would show where you're going a little light over the corner. I could barely see it, like it was rain and stuff, stuff coming into my eyes. And it was, it was wild. I remember that particular night thinking, it was one of the few nights where we said, let's batten down the hatches. We didn't know what had happened to the guys. They nearly killed. They nearly got killed. They did survive. But I remember that night being in the cabin and getting thrown, you know, the boats getting knocked around all over the place. We didn't capsize, but my my dad rang. Now, what I didn't realize is there was a report on the news at home about the two guys going down. Right, right. He had seen that. He was obviously going, oh, shit, is that my son? And so he rang me, but he didn't tell me about that. And I didn't tell him about the lads going down either. So I was like, literally, it was like I was in. But I imagine it might feel like if you're in a washing machine. And I was there with the big clunky sat phone up to my ear. And, How's mom? Oh yeah, yeah, good. <laughs> I'm trying to make just like just to have a, just to basically put him at ease. Yeah, yeah things are yeah, yeah, good. Yeah, yeah. yeah. it's a bit raining tonight. What, oh, what was that? Oh, sorry, I just slipped. And like it was pure. If, if I had videoed it, it would have been pure comedy, I think. Um, yeah, yeah. But that was one moment where I remember being going. Can we just get through tonight? That, that was a, a, a fearful moment um, where I just wasn't sure. It was just wild. Um, and then you had moments of, you know, there was, there was moments where the first, I know this is towards the end, there's lots of things throughout the way, but one of them was 27 miles from land where we saw land. So we knew 20, 30 miles out we might see land. And about six hundred miles earlier, six, seven hundred miles earlier, we were getting pushed really far south. And at that point we thought, geez, we're gonna end up in, like in Venezuela at this stage. But if that's what happens, so be it. We'll still get across the Atlantic. Yeah. yeah. we obviously wanted to arrive to Antigua. And we got a little bit lucky with the weather and we, we, we sort of fought really hard to, to fight our way back up north. So we were on a good a good heading, um, a good latitude coming into Antigua. So we knew we were gonna make it bar any last minute disaster and the weather was calm and it was warm and I remember seeing Antigua and it was like a little it's like a little pillow on the horizon and I remember sort of shouting the Tory land 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 look look, look! like for nearly you know, this was our 85th day out there so for wow. the guts of three months you would sort of dreamt of what it'd be like for this moment and she didn't believe me and I was like get up look it's there and like there was that moment of a little bit of disbelief, a little bit of, Oh my god, isn't that so beautiful? And yeah. then there were so many different emotions there, but it was just going, Wow, like we're gonna do this. Um so like there were some incredible moments like that along the way, or when you rode through the night and you you have the sun coming up in front of you and you know, you've flying fish coming across the boat. Like there was some amazing moments like that. Um Oh, what the hell was it like? Like, did you,
0: when you saw land, did you, did you cry? Did you break into kind of hysterical laughter? I'm just trying to imagine if I haven't seen land, like, you know, it's, it's kind of even hard to try to imagine not seeing land for 85 days, let alone go through like, you know, an experience of being in a, in a tumble dryer, hearing another Irish team went down, but the inherent danger within it, like what, what were the kind of emotional reactions to it when you, when you saw like land ahead?
1: Yeah, it was probably elation, joy. And I also remember a little bit of sadness, sadness that this was coming to an end because right. maybe hindsight is easy. Like when you look back on, so at the time, like if I looked back on the previous 80 odd days and you know, some of them, there's no way I want to experience them again per se. Um, but you look back at some of the good ones and I, I was near, I was sad at the simplicity of life. That we were living right then was coming to an end. You know, food, water, appreciate what's around you. Just, you know, the thrill of being in something like this, that at that point you knew, Barros doing something stupid, we should make it. Um, so there was all those different emotions. But then as we rode through the night, cause we, we made land at, we actually stopped for a couple of hours. Cause my parents were flying in, my sister and my aunt, Irene was flying in and Tori's family and her brother were flying in. So that was even very hard to sort of coordinate if they're trying to book flights and you're like, I think we might be two more weeks, but we don't know. So, right, right. So, and we wanted to come in in daylight as opposed to the middle of the night. So I think we stopped for about six hours, just let the boat, um, let the boat sort of, uh, float and cleaned up the boat. We probably cleaned up ourselves a bit, just chilled out, enjoyed the sun. And then we, we started rowing down the last 24 hours in through the night. And it was a weird feeling because when you're out at sea, I, I remember seeing, uh, Guadalupe is to the south of Antigua. I remember seeing the lights from Guadalupe first. And it was like, it was like a torch, you know, coming over the horizon, that sort of light. And then as you got closer, you could see the little dotted lights and then Antigua, you know, we could see that and see the dotted lights, but on, we'd little handheld GPS and you see the outline of the cliffs. So we were sort of going to hit a point and we Sort of go around a little bit of the island into English Harbor where we finished but you see the outline of the, the cliff against the sky and I was looking at this going I think we're like on top of it. We're gonna hit it. but then you look at your GPS 10 miles to go or five miles to go and I, I nearly didn't I really had to believe what I was looking at and then as the sun comes up and you see your parents and your family like it's it's an amazing feeling I, I, it's something that will, it'll always so many of those details would stay with me forever. You know, it was a really special time.
0: What was it like embracing your family when you got off the
1: boat? It was cool. It was. um It's the only video footage we have from the trip. Is coming into Antigua, and I remember because it's actually coming up in a week. The twenty third of February is the day that we finished. I always remember that date. But when I stepped off the boat, both Tori and I—we both wobbled quite a bit because we didn't have our land legs. we were used to being yeah, at sea yeah, for yeah. so long. I remember like my mom was the first person who came up and, and we, we didn't know exactly, you know, you could sort of pick, oh, there's a few people there. Um, and she just gave me a big hug and it was like such a lovely hug, but the worst, she just said to me, don't ever do this again. <laughs> <laughs> then my dad came in and my sister and it was just, it was magic. Like that whole morning of, you know, having fresh food and just sitting there and having a bit of comfort and just nothing to do. It wasn't like, right. Two hours' time, I got to go rowing again. Like it was just, it was, it was lovely. It couldn't have been, it couldn't have worked out nicer, you know, in terms of the finish.
0: And look, I know there's things you've done, like whether whether it's an expedition in the Arctic or the rowing again in the Northwest Passage. And uh, for anyone's listening, I, I may have a link for Paul's new newsletter soon, and it'll also be kind of uh, he's in the you're in the midst, Paul, of writing a book, uh, Unbound, building a. Building an expedition mindset, uh, which I'm I'm really excited to read as well. Um, so I, kn- I know there's other expeditions you've done, but are there future? Is there anything that's that's uh, that me? Ne- is there any way in which you're trying to feed the beast in the future? Is there anything that's coming up?
1: Yeah, I think there's always things. It's it's funny. I don't really necessarily this year. Interestingly, is the first year where I've probably gone looking for it a little bit more. Um, it's tended to sort of organically happen. So I've sort of pulled myself back from, oh, I'm going to do this or I'm going to do this. So I, you know, we've two, my my wife, we've, we've two young kids. They're nearly four and nearly two. Uh, and that's, that's amazing. amazing because she, like, she gets, this is part of me. And I remember when we got married, you know, our friends and family just sort of mess. Oh, that's the end of these adventures now, you know? And yeah, yeah. Fairness, she was like, no, this is, you know, this is part of the beast, part of the man I'm marrying. So she's brilliant. Like you know, she would say to me the last couple of years, Look, "Take a week. You can manage that with some family support, with the kids. Knock yourself out. Go and do whatever you want. Just you know, keep it around that sort of time frame." So um, I'm not sure yet. Excuse me for this summer, but I just again I'm trusting my instinct. I'm going away this weekend overnight, doing sort of a bushcraft course where you you stay out for a night. You build your own shelter. Like, I, I know bits about that anyway, but there's stuff around foraging and lighting fires and wet wood and stuff. So I, I've i got a feeling that the week in, in July will involve something that's a bit more back country and, and sort of raw. Um, yeah, yeah. So i will say, yeah, i will say, but it's, I, I just sort of trust it, it's going to appear. It's going to, I know what it is. Um yeah. Paul, just
0: in in terms, and this is, I'm asking this even for me um, rather than anyone listening. Yeah. Uh, what advice? Like, what advice uh, would you give to people just to start to cultivate this a little bit more? Because there is something as you talk, uh, as you're talking, that does kind of, you know, look. I, you know me well. I take risks in other ways. I've traveled the world too, and I've gone. I'm starting in new directions and careers, and I've maybe these spiritual or um philosophical things that i explore with or whatever but there's definitely in listening to you you've i don't know evoked something in, in me or stoked something up like and look i'm not going to row across the atlantic um that's not a goal of mine but how would you what kind of advice would you have for people just to start building and um, building towards something in terms of this like
1: in terms of of like something like maybe just taking
0: on some degree of sorry i didn't finish that really um and taking on some degree of more adventure in their life and i I mean this almost in a a physical sense like you you know what i mean not just in a maybe a a career or something like that because i do think you've tapped when you're talking i think there's something quite like almost um almost primordial about this if you know what i mean that i think you're you're probably experiencing a different frequency or a different joy in life with what you're engaging in.
1: Yeah, totally. Totally. I think, I, I think you've, you've struck on something that resonates quite a bit with me that I think we are tapping into something that's a bit more primal when, when you're out in nature, when you're maybe building your own fire, um, whether you're doing, you don't think you have to be building your own fire, but when you're, when you're engaged in something that physically is you're you're investing in it you're not you don't have to be emptying yourself but you're doing so i think there's something really primal i remember last year bringing um different people out sort of wild camping and doing different trips like that and sitting around a campfire that you've built yourself and chatting away there's something just it's like nearly there's a part if you think of us ancestrally like we've done this we've done this before you know if I go back generations, you know, my ancestors did this. So at a cellular level, there's some of that in me. There's some of that yeah. in all of us. So I think it's, especially now when I think as a man, there's, you know, the landscape has shifted in terms of how people maybe view themselves. And, and I think there's something really good. Embrace that manliness that's in you in terms of expressing yourself and being out doing some of these things. It's very pretty healthy. Um, but I guess to answer your question, I, I think the first thing I'd say is be playful and be curious. So if there's something in you going, I wouldn't mind getting my teeth into something, it might be trying a few different things. So it might be sort of what I call nearly finding your arena, You know, whether it's hiking out in nature, whether it's cycling, whether it's indoor climbing, whether it's running, whether it's swimming, whatever it might be, is from a physical perspective is just play around and go, God, I, I really enjoy this. Like I love climbing and, and I'm not an expert climber at all. Um, but I just love doing that. So that will probably inform future trips or experiences that I have. Um, I've done loads of cycling at the moment, just in the last six months, I'm less drawn to cycling. Um, so I think it's be playful with something that, that you might like to do. And um, the second thing then is that. Is, I think that there it can be a commitment piece where I think it's healthy and it can be really helpful for someone to commit to, say, if it was cycling as an example and someone says, right, I think I wouldn't mind doing something like this. I'm going to put a date in the diary where maybe I enter a 50k or 100k, um, you know, uh, not a race per se, but a cycle day. So it's, I think sometimes when you have something to work towards, it absolutely, it gets you off your arse, if I'm being honest, and yeah, I think yeah. it gets you sort of motoring. Um, and I think part of where, where I am now with this is that if I'm thinking of something, I think about a few criteria. So is it something I want to do that I think physically and mentally and really, really push me? Is it something I want to do where I need to acquire a skill? You know, so is it climbing? Is it kayaking? Uh, is it mountain biking? Whatever it might be where... You can't necessarily just, oh, I go off and do that. So anyone can, even, can get up on a bike and go on a cycle. But you can't necessarily go climbing. You've got to, you got to sort of learn a skill. Um, so think about that. Is it, is it, is it a skill there? Is it something that is going to sort of really challenge me? They're going to be really fit for. It? Um, is it something where I'm, I'm sort of off the grid. So I'm really deep in nature somewhere. Um, so those are the three things I think about. And maybe the fourth thing is, you know, is it something you'd like to experience with mates or a partner, or actually, it's something I would love to do my own. So th- those couple of things can help just to to get a few ideas. But I, I go back to the just be playful and just get going doing doing something, and you you find you find your yeah. I,
0: I I really like that because I think once you once anyone starts to just open up the possibility, even just or to be curious or even to experiment. It's kind of a domino effect. One thing leads to the next thing and you can't map it all out from the very start. It's just 100%. literally trying something new at the start. It doesn't. Absolutely. And of course, then when it it, it, it um, materializes or becomes a little bit clearer, then at that point, then you can you know then you can start to make plans as well and then put, put that a uh, commitment piece in as well but just basically to start exactly i, sh- I shall keep you posted on whatever i whatever i try yeah, in the listen, coming weeks paul there'll be, there'll be
1: more chats going on here and, <laughs> yeah you know, i'd be, be like i'll be texting hey, you like what have you what are you thinking of what are you thinking tell me tell me tell me tell me
0: yeah yeah i, I took the dog for a walk paul <laughs> <laughs> no but um paul just coming up to the end here now and as i as i tend to do i i ask people um what their thoughts on a good life is for them. I I know during the course of this conversation, just from some of the notes I've been talking, uh, taking uh, as you've been talking, like not worrying about what other people think, uh, finding your potential, uh, doing things that make you uncomfortable, uh, appreciating the small things in life. uh, You know, just when you're mentioning being on the boat and just the simplicity of the life that you had, getting out in nature, handling uncertainty, almost doing listening to that voice inside of you like feeding the beast or you know expressing your soul and um, so I, you, I think you've been touching on various elements that i think will be important to you but just to, to get your final thoughts on on what is a good life for you paul
1: yeah i was thinking about that because I, I sort of knew we, we we'd probably get to that point today and i was thinking back to the chat we had last year i think it was last year um i I don't think it's changed dramatically for me. I, I think of the way I, I sort of view is that each one of us has a very unique soul. We have a spirit, we have an energy in us that is unique to me. It's unique to you, Mark. It's unique to everybody. And my belief is that there's there's different things. There's an energy to this spirit that might be playful. It might be curious. It might be adventurous. It might be thoughtful. Whatever it might be, we all have that in us. And for me, what a good life is, is that if, if my soul and the essence of who I am is in the driving seat of the car for my journey through life, that to me, it's like nearly, you can't go wrong. It doesn't mean things won't go wrong. Of course, like, things will go yeah, sideways yeah. and shit happens. But I think if I'm doing that, I'm following a path in life that when I get to the end of it, going back to something I said earlier, and when at some point, if I'm doing my, my exit interview, if you and I were chatting and if I knew I was going to pop my clouds tomorrow and we had a chat about, you know, how I lived and what I did. And I, I guess I want to get to that point and go, Do you know what? I get this one a good rattle. And did things go sideways? Did I make mistakes? Of course I did. That's life, but I didn't allow fear or emotional attachment to what people think or different things like that. It doesn't mean I don't experience them. Of course I do. I'm human, but there's a difference between experiencing fear and being courageous. Not that you don't feel fear. Of course you do. So I think that for me, a good life is going, you know, did, did I do that? And, and now I guess in the last couple of years for me is, is did I, as, as part of that is, did I give all I can give to my wife and kids? So as they embark on their, my kids embark on, their journey through life. Did I play my part to set them up as best I can in terms of them as human beings, as people? And, and my hope for them is that they'll embrace the essence of who they are. And it's not like it's a yes or no. It's not a binary thing. There'll be moments where we make decisions that maybe we go a little bit away from ourselves and moments when we come back. And I think that's a, that's a constant. I was talking to about this recently. That's a constant flux, I think, that we have. But. By and large, can I, if, if, if my soul is taking me north, it doesn't really matter if I go that road or that road or that road, but am I, am I moving in that direction of, yeah, this is, this is good. That, that to me is, is a good life. And and it's a life where, you know, hopefully I won't look back. I, I remember talking to someone years ago saying that, look, I probably, I probably need 10 lifetimes to do everything I want to do. So just choose, (laughs) choose wisely, but hopefully I don't look back and go, Ah you're muppet. Why wouldn't you need to try that or
0: give that a <laughs> yeah, go? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, but, but I, I look I, I I really enjoy your your perspectives in general, but I, I I really enjoy this answer that you've kind of remained consistent with as well since we, we talked in those kind of anonymous and private interviews and and I must say the thing some of the the things you describe at times I'd almost think like if I heard them from anyone else I'd be like like Ah, Jesus, like relax with this kind of positive attitude or this thing. But like the thing that I enjoy so much about listening to you, Paul, is that you live and you breathe it. And and it's, uh, I don't know, it's very apparent in how you show up to life. And I, I love this idea of how you describe as well that, you know, you'd almost be driven by the potential regret of meeting the man that you could have been and kind of shaking your head at what could have been. And, you know, even the sentiment again there of, yes, okay, look, I'm, there's a nice realism to the way you describe kind of going after your dreams too. Yes, it can mean that things can go sideways or that you'll make mistakes. It's not about all this kind of doing the right thing all the time and being perfect. It's just about going out and living life. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there's certain aspects to it, even just in listening to you, you're going, you're not going to have the perfect circumstances every time to go out and live your life. The, the universe, the world isn't going to give you this perfectly gift wrapped, opportunity in which it all just is, is there for you sometimes it may do and you know we have these lucky moments of, of 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 things falling into place but by and large it's not and just to kind of accept that at times you may have to sacrifice something for the the thing that you want It may scare you mm. you may have to deal with uncertainty as you've touched on a number of times but it's it's worth it, almost just for the sake of that feeling of like aliveness that I, that i think uh, you embody so well paul i so appreciate look, man, that. Thank you very much for, for the time today, Paul. Thank you very much for joining me on the, the What Is A Good Life podcast. And uh, and I look forward to chatting again soon, sir.
1: Uh, my pleasure. Thanks a million, Mark. And well done. And, and well done on what you're doing. And thank you for it.